0: i am glad to give you one. You go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I do want to remind you that next Sunday, being Easter, we will have two services. First one's at 9.15, and the second one is at regular time, 10.50. And if you can come at 9.15, it tends to help because normally visitors and those who only come at certain times, like Easter... Might tend to come more at the latter hour so if you can come nine fifteen that would be great. If you can't, we'll accept you at t- make fun of. It. I'll be here both. I don't have any choice to try to get out of it, but I will be here at both so uh, I'm sure it'll be better at nine fifteen. I don't know what couple of things I do want to mention to you just to remind you because they're they're getting uh, we're trying to make cut down on announcements and appreciate anybody cooperating with that. But as things get closer, and sometimes we they catch us by surprise. But Arlington in April is the end of the month. That last Saturday, and we'll have a booth all day long. We'll be there. spin art like we normally do. It's really cool. Just hope the weather will be good and get a lot of folks come out for a big deal. So we need people all day long. And the kids line up. Ours happens free. They like parents like free. So and they get to come and squirt paint. So if it's kind of it's fun. I enjoy it. Nobody else. So we need people all day long to man that booth. Who would like to help. Just contact Russ and give you an hour six work. Thought, it's always a lot of fun, and also in May it's drawing close. If you want to be involved in the Relay for Life, the American Cancer Society, we're going to have a team it's at Depot Square. I know Gerald can tell you about it. Julie, it's right here. It's a kinder. Of they're all involved, and it's fun to go down there in time. And I'm going to be around whether I'm walking or not. But I will be there, hopefully wearing my shoulders. So if you'd like to be involved in Relay for Life, please uh, see one of them, or you can their places just sign. All right, First Corinthians 15. Nobody found it. We're we eating. I'm just kind of hungry. I just want to eat. I didn't, I'm You mad at me now. Or, forgive me. Here, I'll come down and give you a hug. How's that? I'd jump off the stage and come and give you a hug, but then I'd have a broken ankle and worse. Can we tell everybody what you're... 1 oh. Corinthians 15, you notice the top of your handout. Today, we're going to be talking about our victory. And really, today is in the calendar of Christendom, what is today called? Palm Sunday. What happened on Palm Sunday? A lot of mumbling going on. What happened Old Palm Sunday? Everybody went around and gave each other high fives. That's right in the palm. I was reading the paper this morning. I know nobody does that, but us old people. That's all right. I'm reading the paper this morning, and obviously there's an article about the Grizzlies because they're hoping to make the playoffs, and they're going. They're in L.A. today to play the Lakers, and then they got to play Phoenix tomorrow night, and it's really important that they win today's game. And so their coach was motivating them and saying, Dave Yeager is saying, all right, Make sure you take care of all your business, get the tickets, get your room, get everything done for for your family. I know it's Easter Sunday. The guy said, no, it's Palm Sunday. Next Sunday is Easter. Well, whatever. It's one of those great motivational speeches. Well, whatever. So, that's the way I motivate. Whatever. Palm Sunday, what happened? All right. Jesus came into Jerusalem. It's the beginning of what's known as Passion Week. Jesus comes into Jerusalem to this tremendous parade-like atmosphere, where they're singing, you can read about it in the Gospels, "Hosanna to the Lord, Hosanna in the highest," and they're laying palms out for him, and it's a triumphal entry. That's what it's known as, the triumphal entry of the Messiah coming into Jerusalem. And within four days, what were those same people screaming? "Crucify him!" Now, it's a, it's fascinating. I want you to notice the title of today's message is "Our Victory." is final in this series of the relevance of Jesus' empty tomb. for a moment, I want you to think about that week, because it really is a triumphal entry. Started out that way historically, but by the end of the week, it did not look good, did it? When you get to Good Friday, not looking good. They crucify the Lord Jesus. If you read the story in the Gospels, there's Earthquakes, the veil in the temple, the curtain before the Holy of Holies is torn in half. And if in the moment everything gets dark like an eclipse, it looks bad. But three days later, what do we celebrate next Sunday? He rose the dead. Now here's the point. Jesus had told them, doesn't the Messiah or the Christ have to suffer these things and die? Did he not say, destroy this body and in three days I will raise it up? They didn't get it. John tells us then they finally understood later he meant his own body. That he was going to come back from the dead. That's why the title of the series is, This is Relevant. Because on Good Friday, it looked like there's no hope. By Sunday, bright, glorious hope. The resurrection changed these people. It changed you. It changed me. It changed history. Because if he did not rise from the dead, and we've talked about this over and over, and we'll continue to do so. If he did not, make sure don't step off, physically rise from the dead, then we're wasting our time. You saw that last week. Our faith is few. We are still in our sin, and we are of all people most to be pitied because we believe a lie. A simple example, tragic, it's so true. Yesterday morning. I'm in my backyard raking leaves. That was my first mistake. I was correcting an error. My 27-year-old son had made me rake the leaves, but that's a difference. So I'm back there raking the leaves in my backyard, and my son-in-law calls and says, uh, he was in my front yard. He pulled up in the driveway, and I wasn't in the house, so he calls me on the cell phone. I'm, I'm in the backyard. He calls me and says, where are you? I said, I'm at my house. What? I'm at your house. I said, I'm in the backyard. So he, he walks around there, and he's got with him my little uh, nine-year-old granddaughters with his daughter. And she's got her uniform on, and they got a softball game in a couple of hours. And so they came to bring to the furniture to the house and hung around for a little while prior to the game. Well, he's got a piece of paper in his hands. Oh, He just, you got to know my son-in-law. He's just the greatest guy in the world. He goes, Randy, the Jehovah's Witnesses are in your front yard. Hang on, I'm going to go get them. I said, I said, no, Ryan, you go talk to them. He goes, no, no, I want to watch you talk to them. And I said, I promise you it will be a short conversation. Because I got a big X on my house, and apparently these people were new. Well, Ella, this is, what is why it's so tragic about it, and yet so important that this resurrection changes. Ella, sweet as she be, I love the girl. She goes, Granny, she had a piece of had the thing they hand out. It's got a picture of, like, like prophet or supposed to. And it's, it's got a pic, you know, the picture of the Bible. She says, look, it says right here, they believe the Bible. And isn't that just, don't they believe like we do? So I'm trying to explain to her while I'm raking leaves. Uh, and I said, Ella, do you understand the word interpret? And I said, okay, let will try another tack. I said, when the Bible says this about just, do you believe that? Well, they don't. He said, but well, it's a picture of the Bible, right? You see how, why it's so important we disciple our children, your children, my grandchildren? And our dad's going, stop all that. I got to go get them. No, he didn't do that. He said, do you want to talk to them or not? I've got to run out there and get them before they get to the next house. I said, right now I'm raking leaves and trying to explain this to Ella. So what the, I'll talk to him later. And oh, he was so disappointed because he, he wanted to see me talk to him. But here's my point, as we said last week, when you examine what we believe, and Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we can believe it, we can follow him, and he was a good man, did a lot of great things, had a lot of great teaching, but he's not God, and he can't save. But the relevance of his empty tomb is he did rise from the dead, and our hope is real, and our victory is final. bad as it looked on Good Friday, that's how great it was Easter. Now, he rose from the dead, never died again. He rose to the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he never died again. You see, what we really celebrate at Easter is Passover. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians, Jesus is our Passover. In Eastern Europe, years ago, they give, giving, in giving out Easter baskets. How many of you give an Easter basket to your kids? It's okay, God's not going to get you if you In their Easter baskets, they would put eggs. Now, as Christians, why do we put eggs in an Easter basket? Because they're fun to paint, and that's what we've always done, right? Why do people have Easter egg hunts? Some people don't even know. From a Christian perspective, why do we put eggs in in the baskets? New life. It's a picture of new life. Resurrection. Hope. How many of you love this time of year? I was so excited yesterday that I could go out and rake leaves and enjoy the weather. And I could I could get cut by the thorns. And I, I could say, I, I accomplished something in my backyard. Rather, than, have you seen the commercial where the guy's coming staggering out of his house? It's a Kingsford, uh, I'm going to charge this, but it's a Kingsford charcoal commercial. The guy comes staggering out of his house. He's got on like his giant coat. And he just glazed over. And they're all like, and they're cooking out, grilling out. And they're like, What's wrong in this place? It was cold. His buddy said, hey, man, it's winter. And one of the other guys screamed, get this man a burger. Now, the, p- the point is we celebrate new life because of Christ, he is Passover. Well, in Eastern Europe, what they would do is give the kids an Easter basket with the eggs in. But they would also do like celebrate and reminder Passover put horseradish in there. The kids were excited about that. They would put a horseradish in there to remind them of the bitterness of bondage. They would put bread in there to remind them of how God had for them. They would put salt in there to remind them that we are human, and we have a need, that Jesus can provide hope. Life symbolized with the egg. God delivered Egypt, bondage, and on Passover night, the death angel passed over the blood, and you were saved, covered or atoned. By the blood of Christ. When God looks in, you see, if you're born again, the blood comes. See, our victory final. He shed his blood so that he might know. Today, this began years ago. God, Jews began to celebrate Passover when they were delivered from bondage in Egypt by Moses. To this day, in Jewish home, when they still celebrate, children ask, what is so different about this night as they celebrate? The tragedy is most of those. H- See, if you're a Christian and you know Jesus is Passover, you celebrate he is Passover lamb. And John saw him. What did he say? Behold the lamb of God. John the Baptist takes away the sin of the world. He is Passover. That's what we celebrate. Sigmund Freud, founder and founder, obviously, of modern psychiatry, everyone bows at his altar, said the words, quote, Finally, there is the painful riddle of death for which no remedy at all has yet been found nor probably ever will be. Unfortunately, most people, but if you're born again, you know Jesus Christ. What did we learn about death last week? Not a problem for Not a problem for. We're going to see even more about that today. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Let's start in verse 21. Our victory is final. Number one, it's a victory over death. It's a victory over death. Verse 21 through 23, you see a contrast. Adam, the first man, versus Jesus Christ, known as the last Adam. Or the life-giving man. Verse 21, for since by man Adam came death, by man Jesus also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, notice the all, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. You're seeing a contrast here between the earthly and the heavenly. Between sin and righteousness. Between death and resurrection to new life. In verse 22, the first all is everybody. Everybody who is in Adam. How many of us are descendants of Adam? Would you raise your hand? If you didn't raise your hand, I'd like to know where you came from and see me afterwards. We're all descendants of Adam, and we all have a problem. What's our problem? We die. Why do we die? Because we're sinners. Why are we sinners? Because Adam sinned, and he brought sin and the the resultant outcome of sin, death, to the human race. We all die. But in Christ, the second all, we're made alive. In Christ, we have new life. We have resurrection. Death is not a problem. So you see the summary in verse 23, which we talked about last week. We're not going to go over this again. Just read it. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are are Christ at his coming. This is what we dealt with last week, is that Christ is the first firstfruits, the beginning of the harvest. Because he rose from the dead, guarantees we're going to rise. We're raised to new life spiritually in Christ, and one day, we'll see today, we're going to get a new body. We're going to live with Christ forever. Look at Romans 5, it's on the screen, verse 12 and 21. Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin, Adam's sin brought death, thus death spread to all men, because all sinned, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I've said this many times, it's fascinating how, if you, even if you don't believe the Bible, all you've got to do is watch history, watch people, watch culture, you know that it's true. We have a brand new granddaughter, she is what, two months old now? Approximately two months old. The most beautiful child ever placed on the planet. She's a gorgeous little girl. My son and his wife. Beautiful little Lydia. But beautiful little Lydia is a sin. Beautiful little Lydia. Give her. She'll be driving people crazy. Give her two years. They'll be bringing her to the nursery saying, look out. Lydia's here. Throw her in there. If you don't believe people are sinners, you don't believe the Bible is true, you don't believe people are selfish, self-centered, and, and it's about them, all you have to do is what? Watch them. Look in the mirror. Think. Be honest about yourself. About others. We all have a problem. Adam gave it to him. Jesus came to solve that problem. Sin brings not just this law, it brings death, eternal separation. God, less Christ in Christ. Second, look at verse 24. We have victory over all these things because Jesus rose from the dead. Verse 24. Then comes the end. this is talking about at the second coming, the end of verse 22, 23, at his coming, second coming, then comes the end. When he, God or Jesus delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and authority and power. Let's keep reading for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted, in other words, God. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. The Son, subject to the Father, God to all things under him. has all authority at the Great Commission. Prior to saying to his disciples, go make disciples, learner followers, say prior to that, all authority in heaven, in heaven, on earth. Would you pause for a moment and reflect on that? All authority in heaven it's quite a bit. He's God. And on earth has been given to me. And then he said, now you go. The one who has all power, who is omnipotent, the one who has all authority says, now you go. That has not changed. That's our mantra. That's our calling. That's why we exist at church. Go all world and tell them Jesus rose from and that he can solve your problem, your sin, death problem. Jesus can give you victory over that because he is God, and he did rise from the dead, and he was perfect, he was sinless, so his sacrifice means something. So now, secondly, we have victory over all these things. First thing, in verse 24, says it three different ways, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities. Now, the context is final redemption at the end, An end means a completion of something. When Jesus comes back, he's going to wrap it all up, We have victory through him over every kingdom, every ruler, and every authority that's ever existed, including Satan. You read about Satan in the Old Testament, one of the things that he said was, I will ascend my throne above that of the Most High God. And he rules, the Bible rule the air, but he is foe, cause of what's did Cain died, and he again, forever. He's still working, and he will be. There's a time coming, Jesus is back. He's going to wrap it all up, the final redemption, and Satan will be cast to the lake fire forever. It's already defeated. Jesus has got to wrap it up. All rule, all authority, all kingdoms He's going to wrap it all up. Then verse 25, over all his enemies. Verse 25, most put all enemies under his feet, and that last enemy to be destroyed is death. And when he rose from the dead, he conquered death. Ultimately, the Bible says he cast sin and death into the lake of fire. That final enemy. The beauty of this is, is that as a Christian. Being born again, I know that I'm going to die physically. But I also know we'll not have to die. Jesus conquered death. We're gonna see in a moment what happens after death, other than going to heaven. It's a pretty good deal. That's why it's not a problem conquer it. Till till Colossians chapter two puts it this way. Verse 14 Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, in other words, our sin debt, what we owed which was contrary to us. He, Jesus, has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed, taken away the power of principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. I wish I had a lot of time to go over this, but one point I want to make about the end of it. It says that he made a public spectacle of them, principalities and powers, and that's Satan and everyone who would come against Christ. When they crucified Jesus Christ, Remember, we're talking about Pasha comes in and celebrating at the end of the week, torturing him to death. They crucified him at a place called Calvary on a place of skull, Golgotha. But the way the Romans did it, it was a public thoroughfare. And they would crucify people, put them on crosses so that as you came by, you saw people hanging on that public thoroughfare. And your response was, I don't think I'll mess with Rome." I don't think I'll cross those poles. This is what they do to their enemy. This is what they do to the criminals. I believe I will obey Rome. So they would crucify them in a very public way. Normally they would hang there for days. Notice what Colossians, Jesus publicly was crucified by his enemy, but who triumphed in it? Jesus. He made a public spectacle of them when they thought they were making a public spectacle of him. Do you see that? God is reminding you. And even today, as you suffer for your faith and you're mocked for being a believer, understand Jesus has already won, and despite the mocking, because Christ. Verse 28, victory over things. I love the, love the way he puts it here, verse 27. He's put all things under his feet. When he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he, he who has put all things under him is except God. When all things are made subject to him, and the Son himself will also be subject to him who has put all things. He says it three different times. All things, all things, all things, all things. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul puts it this way. He raised him from the dead, Jesus, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. And notice the next part. Far above all, principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also that which is to come. What's left out in that paragraph? Nothing. Every name that is named or ever will be named or any name you can think of, pick one. Jesus is far above all of them. All of them. That's who is Savior. That's why our victory is final. That's why our hope is real. Our Savior is risen. He has put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. We are his body. We are his family. He is far above all. That's why we worship him. We call this a worship service. My life should be an act of daily worship because he's worth it. No one else is, yet we all worship at some altar. Non-believers worship at an altar. What's their altar? Themselves. Everybody worships at some altar. Christians worship at the altar as Christ because he's God and he alone is worthy of our worship. He's far above. Every principality, power, dominion, anything you can name, including Satan, is far above them all. Number three, drop down to verse 50. We have victory over the future. Victory over the future. Verse 50. Now I say this, this is Paul's summary affirmation about what he's been talking about. The interim verse is talking about our new heavenly body. Now he's going to sum that up for them. Verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Corruption, inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery: we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. We're going to get a permanent, mortal body, one that will not decay, one that will not fall apart. Victory over the future. First thing you notice there in verse fifty fifty-two, it's victory over resurrection, over resurrection. We get a new one. Listen. Most of you are a lot younger than me, but you already hurt in your body somewhere. Some of you, yet, yeah, but you will. These bodies wear out. The Bible calls them a tent, a temporary dwelling place. They're called a tabernacle, place you dwell in temporarily. They're called body to go back. The grave decay, but you're going to be changed. The time coming has wrapped it all up. When we're raised, we get a new body that will not decay, that will not fall apart, that does not hurt every time you move. That when you rake leaves for an hour, you can't get up the next. Won't have that problem in heaven. Won't have a problem hurting. Won't have a problem when your heart rhythm messed up. You got to go get that straightened out. Or you have high blood pressure. You're dealing with cancer. Or you're hurting from whatever your ailment might be. We don't have that problem in heaven. You get a new body, one that will never decay, one that cannot be corrupted by sin because there is no sin there. It's paradise. You're going to get a new resurrected body made for living paradise. That's why we call it redemption. You get to go home. You're bought by the price that was the blood of Christ and the body of Jesus. Our earthly bodies are not accepted. Flesh and blood. This body cannot inherit. It's an earthly. It cannot inherit heavenly. I'm really glad, personally. Some of you like to, might want to keep your, I'm about tired of this. I'd like a new one. It's the beauty of being a Christian. I'm going to get a new one. I need it. I had a friend of mine the other day, and I, I turned 60 in January, as most of you know. I know. And a buddy of mine came up to me this week. We have been practicing softball with kids, and we're out in the parking lot, and we go home, and he go, look, man, this fall, I started a basketball league. He said, no, no, no. He said, look, this is only people over 40. I said, man, you pay me to play in that. My body won't let me do it. I said, The hands got arthritis at the point I could shoot a basketball, if I, plus my back. Plus, if I tried to run, we'd always CPR every time up and down the court. It would get crowded and people hitting with the paddles. It wouldn't be any fun. You know, your time comes, you just can't do what you want to do, what you used to could do. God said, You know what? I got something else. Do this one fit for living in heaven. The other thing that I want you to understand about this flesh and blood is also important. In the context, we're not going to go read all the verses if you don't have time. But our earthly bodies, they are fragile. They do get sick. They are diseased. They're affected by sin. None of that's a problem in heaven. But there's another thing that's, that's going on here. When he says flesh and blood cannot inhabit heaven, that idea of flesh and blood does mean this. But it also means human thing. In other words, my focus in this life is on money. Now, I'm not taking that to heaven. If my focus this life is on success, I'm not taking that to heaven. If my focus in this life is on pleasing people, I'm not taking that to heaven. You see there's no sin in heaven. There's no counting your money. There's no looking at your 401k and going, Ooh, "You don't have that." The things that the earthly things that we make our priorities and our god will not be there. It's not about human, earthly, materialistic Motivation, it's about spirit. Jesus spent more time talking about money than any other subject. I wonder why. Because the love of money it of all kinds of power. Not money itself, love of it. If you're not careful, it will become your God. And then see, that will be a problem in heaven. Kind of like going, don't worry about it, Grandy's got it. It's all paid for you. Our victory is final. First John 3 puts it this way. Beloved, we are children of God. It's not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, Jesus comes back. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as is. Look at verse 52 again as we begin to wrap it up. Verse 2. When is this going to happen? Notice he puts it two ways. in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. The word moment in Greek, we get our word atom from it. A-O-N. Atomic. It's the Greek word that's used here in a moment. It's that quick. Twinkling of an eye. Scientists have said that the twinkling of an eye is one ten thousandth of a second. That's how quickly this will occur, at the last trumpet. In the culture of that day, when you blew a trumpet, you were sounding victory, you were calling the troop to assembly, or you were warning about something. All of that's going on. God is saying, this is coming. We need to warn people. Jesus is coming back. Believers, called to assembly. We're at war. The spiritual fight going. Jesus has already won. We're still fighting until he takes me home. His victory for us is fighting. Look at verse 52. Look at the result. The dead will be raised, incorruptible, we're going to get new bodies, and we will be changed. We will be changed and get a heavenly body. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead Christ shall rise first. Verse 53, I want you to notice something in verse 53. This, ind- in- this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. Two things I want you to notice. The phrase put on in Greek means to dress in new clothes. It's a term it's used in the Bible described in the New Testament described being saved, put on righteous. Not our own, but Jesus Christ, new robe. Here it's talking about you're going to put on something brand new. You're getting a new body. It will be immortal. Our bodies now die; ones will not. We we'll get, we will get new. We're going to transform. Philippians says, transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able to subdue all things to Himself. We don't even understand what it's all about. We just know it's coming. In verse 55, I want you to notice verse 55 for a moment says, verse 54, the, the end of it. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, or the grave, where is your victory? It's really fascinating about this, all that we talked about, quoting the Old Testament. So one of the things that's going to happen when Jesus comes back and he wraps all this up and we get these new bodies is that he's fulfilling more prophecy, fulfilling more that was said about the Messiah from Hosea here it is, finally, ultimately, what I told you to do, I will. it's coming, no sting, no victory, I love the picture here, It takes away the sting, I read an illustration about this week, it's really fascinating, little girl, highly allergic to bee stings, highly allergic, it was out with her mother, and there was bees swarming around, little girl was terrified, but so allergic, her mother grabbed the bee, and what did it do when grabbed it, stung, let it go, and little bee still flying around, the girl's terrified, she goes, I sting, it can't. He took sting of death. Now, we're going to die physically. You will die physically. He who lives and will never die. The resurrection and the life. You believe this. See, that's what it's all. If you believe Jesus is the resurrection and the life, you commit your life to him, you'll live forever. If you reject him, you'll be separated in hell. He bought. took sting. He took the victory. Makes it possible because he rose the dead. He gives it. And then finally, one last point, verse eight, is victory over the present right now. I love this verse for a lot of reasons. Just three quick things and we're done. It's 58. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Therefore, In light of everything Jesus Christ gives to you, this final victory, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Here's the idea. On Good Friday, they looked at following Jesus and said, what? Wasting our time. We saw earlier in our series, I'm going back fishing. They're wasting their time. But by Easter Sunday, things changed, hadn't it? And over the next few days, he saw that things... Here's what Paul is saying to the believer. Therefore, because we have final victors, Christ, be firm for the Lord. You be faithful, be firm. Why? Why? Because our labor for him. We're not doing this because it's our religion. We're doing it because Jesus Christ rose the dead Only one that can give. Let me give you an illustration, and we're going to pray. We do it because it's worthwhile. In the culture in which Jesus lived... Well, let me, put it, let me start this. One. What did Jesus do for a living before he went into the ministry? He was what? He was a carpenter. In the culture of the day, if a carpenter came into your home and he did some work, you were not there, and he, he did the work. When he finished, he took his towel, he wiped, washed his hands, dried them, wiped the sawdust off of him and the sweat, washed his hands, took the towel, folded it in half, folded it in half again, and laid it on top of what he'd been working on. And so when you got home, you knew he was finished. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. And the Bible says in John, when they ran into the tomb, they saw the garment, what? Folded and laid aside. What was the second message they ran into? I told you. What we do, else anybody ever done? That's the gospel. Jesus died. Lord, well, we do thank you that Jesus rose from the dead. Seems simplistic, monumental. It is the moment in history that matters the most. He came, he died, was buried, and rose again. If he did not rise again, just another philosophy that he did. So, Father, I pray you motivate us, remind us to be immovable, firm, fruitful. Share the gospel because it matters. Jesus rose. I pray that for all of us as believers. And, Lord, if there's somebody here who's not a Christian, who's never said to Jesus, give me, save me, that they would understand this moment without Christ, they have no hope. With him, all hope, we pray in his name. Please stand as we sing, and I'll be down front if you'd like to pray with me.